Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. I have something to confess that might be uh, something that's consistent in your life as it's consistent in mine, but I wish that it wasn't. There are people in my life, around my life, every day or weekly, who I just don't see. They're present with me. They're invisible. They're doing work for me, but they're invisible. They're doing work with me, but they're invisible. Sometimes my own life is so all-consuming that when I interact with other people, I only see such the surface that I can't see their need. I can't see uh, what they've done. It, they might as well not have been there because it was of no note to me. Now, I'm sure that you're not as bad as I am and you know the name of the person who cuts your lawn. You know what's going on in their life. You know your favorite Starbucks barista. You know the young lady or young man who's checking your uh, groceries out. You know all of the people on the security team or the reception area or some co-workers down the next cubicle, or perhaps you're like me, that in the busyness of your life, people, image bearers of Christ, become invisible. You know, there are, according to statisticians, there are over a billion people who we consider completely um, invisible because they have no nationality, no citizenship, no identification, so forth and so on. How terrible it is to live in a world where no one knows your name. What's that, what's that show? I just thought about it. Where everybody knows. What's that? How'd it go? Don't, 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 don't. The worst part of that is that's at a bar. I mean, that's a bar. Like, why we know that? that you that you got to go to the bar for somebody to know you? Yeah, that's, that's just T-bone, you know. So we want to be known. We want to be seen. But the reality is, just like I make others invisible, I'm invisible to others. Because becoming visible means I'm responsible. I'm responsible. What I love about Jesus and the text we're going to do today is that he dispels the myth that we're all invisible, which makes us dispensable. And let's look at Matthew 26. We're going to go to the sixth verse. When you have it, say amen. How many brought your own Bible to church today? Let me just see. Y'all, ooh, yeah. Y'all, y'all, y'all. 
Well, I was about to say y'all real Christians, but then that makes the people who didn't bring their Bible feel like they, they, they not real. Just because you brought your phone, baby. I brought my, hold my Bible. You could have held my Bible. I brought my Bible to church. I know, Dave, you bring your, your, your Bible. Dave, you always have your Bible. <laughs> you becoming like the rest of the Gentiles. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. And Dave writes in his Bible, and that's okay. He told me that's okay to write in the Bible. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> turn your screens to Matthew 26. <laughs> Ready, read. This, it just stopped. Because in this First verse, we recognize that Jesus doesn't have invisible people in his life. Amen. How oxymoronic is it that Jesus was in the house of Simon the leper? A person that you should be staying away from? Now, we know that uh, historians would say that Simon was somebody that got healed by Jesus. But how many lepers do you know, former lepers walk around and say, you know, I got healed. Like if you, he, this stigma of leprosy, even though he was healed, and you know he must have been healed because nobody would be in his house. But he still went by the title. Don't you hate when you get delivered from something and somebody still want to call you by who you used to be? That's who I used to be. My name used to be Maniac. Y'all better not call me Maniac again. But when you're still referred to, how notorious sometimes those identities become more visible to people than our new identity. Christ was able to see Simon and interact with him and be in his house. He's not invisible. He's visible to Jesus, Jesus fellowshipping with him. Next verse, please read. And a woman, and, oh no, it's going to come on the screen. Stop. In society, I'm amazed that a woman would come up to him. Because in Jewish society, women had their place, men had their place, they didn't, ha they didn't have frequent interactions and it wasn't definitely public and men didn't have the same level of respect that I believe men have for women today and they would pray actually in that culture and thank God that they were not a woman. Woman's testimony wasn't legal in, in, legal in court. She was somebody who was not highly valued or highly prized but highly useful. And, and yet Jesus allows this woman to approach him. Jesus sees her. He sees who she is and that she can be trusted. He sees her. Perhaps it's important for you to understand that he sees Simon, a former leper, and a woman who in some versions of this, because there's four different stories, I'm not going to try to blend them all, but this is... I'm, I am blending them all because I'm conflating some ideas that in one sense it was a sinful woman and another sense it was a, it was a righteous woman. Um, but I want you to know that woman had a story. Yes. Yes. 
and you didn't know her story, but she was able to approach and that was not culturally the thing to do. And then she approached and something happened. And the woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at a table. One thing about me personally, because I'm from Detroit, I don't like people walking up behind me. Don't walk up behind me. And don't touch Richard Andrews, the back of my head. Don't touch another man's head. Don't do that. I know, and a lot of y'all kids in here think because my head is nice and shiny that I always want y'all to touch it. Touch my head. Tell your kids to stop. Unless they 11 and under, they didn't touch my head. My point is, is that nobody wants you to just come up behind them, especially in that culture, a woman. And she begins to do something that is pretty extravagant. She takes what would have been hanging around her neck, neck, which you would call it a vase, or, 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 but it was called a, a vial, but it was called a box hanging around her neck. This is something very valuable. She was probably endowed this. This is something that someone probably gave to her for either a family burial or for her life. It was very expensive. It was the most valuable thing she had. But just like Jesus saw her, she saw him. And when she saw him, she grabbed the most valuable thing she had and said, the most valuable person I know is worthy of this gift. She grabbed the most valuable thing she had and the Bible says she broke it open and I believe it went like this. She probably intended to just give him a little something. But instead of just giving Jesus a little bit, she started realizing how much he loved her and she started expressing how much she loved him. And instead of giving him a little bit of what was valuable to her, she started giving him all that was valuable to her. And she began to pour it on his head and then smear it all over his head and began to rub it in. And the thing I love about her worship is that, and her giving, is that it was almost, it was definitely from the heart, but it was mindless. She was thinking more about who he was than what she had. She wanted to just give it to him. Now, uh, if you came to a Wednesday night Bible study last night, and if you, uh, I, I mean last Wednesday, I was teaching. I want you to come this Wednesday. It's great teaching you to hear about it. I tell stories that I don't tell on Sunday morning. I told a particular story last Wednesday about uh, when I first came to this city with all of my degrees and everything, and I had gotten laid off from my job, and I found myself doing a job selling um, perfume on the streets, bootleg, cool water, sunflowers, um, obsession, uh, curb, and I had a little satchel bag, and 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 I would wear my whole suit, Pastor Ricky, and I would put it put it in a bag, and I would walk, <laughs> and I would walk around the beauty shops and and salons. I got I got some cool water, cool water. I want some cool water. <laughs> that was a low time in my life. One day I sold so much, you sell 21 bottles in a day, they make you a rhino. And I came home, I was crying. I said, damn it, 
Derby, I'm a rhino. I'm a rhino. Anyway, I learned, Pastor Day. I learned, I learned about fragrances. A lot of you probably, the most inexpensive one is the little toilet. That's going to last you 15 minutes to an hour. You got to spray like 20 sprays. Then, you know, you can get a cologne. You know, that got a little bit more alcohol in it. It's going to evaporate. It might make last, you know, two, three hours. Then you can get perfume. Now, perfume, the, and the more expensive it is, the more pure it is, the oil will last 12 to 24 hours. It's precious. It's expensive. You don't want to just use that on what, you know, the cologne, you got to take like a lot of sprays, but the oil is just two, two, two hits, two hits, two hits. My son, I took, took my son out the other day, yesterday, and I, I say, hey, you can get, get, you, get you two hits of my cologne because he ain't had none. I want to be, be right for the occasion. And I said, hey, man, how many hits did you take? He said, I took four. I said, I said two, man. That's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. The perfume will stay in you a long time. Stay on you a long time. In fact, those who, who are familiar with this, you become one with that smell. You, you don't even smell it anymore because that's it. Very expensive back then. Only kings were given this. Mary was making a statement about the king of kings. See, he was making a statement. Only those who are being elevated as somebody like Messiah would be anointed like this, anointed one in his anointing. See, he sees you. The question is, do you see him? And if you see him, what will you do? What's up for grabs in your life? Let's look at that next verse. Watch this. Read this out loud. Ready? Read. Now, how is it that people who were looking at Jesus every day couldn't see him? How come if Jesus saw them and they saw him that they weren't doing what he was doing? In fact, they were getting angry at what is done. How often, I'll just tell you about myself because I've been guilty of this. I grew up in a stoic background where praise and worship happened in a more, uh, what I would call at the time in my life, a dignified way. We knew when to stand, when to sit. You know, we didn't sing loud. It was, feed my love, tend my sheep, over all of Israel keys. In my name, lead them forth gently as a shepherd. You know, that, that's how I grew up. And then I started getting around your people. You know it's true. Them Kojic people, they pray as big. 
They get their hands all up. They wave, they shake, they, they flash dance. <laughs> and at first, I thought to myself, how offensive is this? No, I did. I went to a prayer meeting. I went to a prayer meeting and I was thinking, how can people pray? They're so loud. You can't hear yourself think. I'm trying to talk to Jesus and hallelujah, glory. Oh, Lord, please, please. I just sat up in my seat. I thought we was getting on. We had the things when I was growing up. You know, you pull out the, what you call those? The kneelers. Yeah, the kneeling, but you pull it out and you're really having a moment with the Lord. Need people going loud. I can relate to the disciples who looked at the extravagant worship and extravagant giving and they were angry. And they said they didn't have a problem with something being given to Jesus. They had a problem with the extravagance. You know, you, you could have given a little dab. No, you got to pour the whole bottle on him. Why would you waste on him? Why would you waste your time? Why would you waste your treasure? Why would you waste your talent? Do you know the enemy is asking you these questions all day long? He's asking you this question. Why are you wasting your time at the church? Why are you wasting your time on the outreach? When I started, when I first got to this city, people were offering me churches and everything, and I said, Lord, I'm going to go to the inner city. And every time people would come to me and say, why are you wasting your time at Salama Ministries, Pastor Daryl and Stephanie. Why are you wasting your time with those people? Don't you know how talented you are? Don't you know how much money you can make? And then, but you know, that's, that's a spirit. It's not just to the down and out. It can happen to the up and out. When, when, when Debbie and I were, were being asked to be pastors of the church, we were in the middle of a multi-million dollar deal that involved a movie and everything. It's the kind of deal that sets you for life, like where you don't worry, like you retire after the deal. And, uh, and then the man said, you need to leave that church. He said, how can what you're going to do at that church compare to all you can do here? And what a waste. You, your life would be a waste, but he sees you. And he takes his gifts and he dispenses them for his people because he sees you. So if he sees you, do you see him? And if you see him, what will you do? Now, what they did is say it's a waste. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of resources. And that reckless spirit of Judas, who, that's who voiced it, who was constantly helping himself to the Lord's money. He was okay with it being spent the way he was. But he thought, man, she gave up my cut. I could have had a little something with that right there. Givers, I'm going to say that, Holy Ghost, yeah. Givers don't complain, and complainers don't give. Just to take it home with you, givers don't complain, and complainers don't give. She wasn't even giving it grudgingly, like, Lord, you know I needed it, but you, you need it right now. 
She wasn't giving it because Jesus said, hey, that flask around your neck. You know, I can really advance the kingdom with that. This was not out of compulsion. This was not out of necessity. This was out of love. Sometimes it's difficult for us to give even when what we should do is staring us in the face. Let's read the, let's conclude this message with this final thought. Matthew 26, 10. And I'm gonna give you a little context. Jesus is two days away from his death. The Bible says in verses one through five that they have already plotted to absolutely capture and kill him. And he has went to Simon the leper's house and hung out with this woman knowing that he's two days away from his death. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for me. No matter what someone thinks about your giving, your time, your talent, your treasure, and what you, to Jesus is beautiful. To other people who can't fully evaluate you, it might just be illegitimate. It might be to them grandstanding. It might be inconveniencing them. But to him, it is beautiful. Somebody came to me and said, why did you have to build a church? Why couldn't you just rent out on old Kroger's instead of the, I said, well, he told us it's beautiful to him. I don't know why anybody has to build church. Well, who else would build churches? And then what if they say that churches can't do it? I mean, we, we have to have our own. It's beautiful to him. For you always have the poor with you. He gave to the poor all the time. But he's saying there's a moment that there's something you give to the poor. But he's not saying it's inappropriate to give to me. But you will not always have me in pouring this ointment on my body. Now he upgrades it. I thought it was just his head. See, this, this must have been a, a moment. Like, she's taken. I mean, this is on his head, his hands, his feet. She has done it to prepare me for burial. I don't know if it was God the Father or the Holy Spirit, whoever gave her a revelation of what was going on. I don't know if he maybe fully had a revelation. But God was saying, this is preparing me for my burial. That means that every time he was whipped, he smelled the perfume. When that crown went on his head, he smelled the perfume. And instead of hating those who were beating him, he remembered the love of a woman and his love for humanity because the fragrance was too strong. It drowned it out hate. Yeah. The Bible says in another context, he that is forgiven much loves much. 
the woman gave extravagantly because she knew how far she was from God. Maybe the problem with us is we think we're too close, but I know that my sins have separated me so far from God that if he didn't step out of eternity and into my reality, I would be stuck as an outcast and I would be eternally separated. But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who is plenteous in love and favor, stepped right into my situation and said, you know, I love you. I see you. You're not invisible to me. Hallelujah. That fragrance, every time he's whipped, the fragrance, every time they beat him, the fragrance as he's nailed to the cross and he said, forgive them. Uh, they don't know what they're doing because something was done for my burial. That reminds me I'm loved by the people who are crucified still need me. He said, this, it ends with what this woman has done. Should be mentioned every time the gospel is mentioned. Why would he say it? Because there is no other response to the gospel except total surrender. There is no other response to the gospel except I'll give it all. There is no other response to the gospel but stopping your life, stopping what you're thinking about, stop worrying about other people and their, and their thoughts about you and focus in on Jesus and what he's done for you because he sees you, you see him, and you can do something. Worship. Extravagantly. Worship with all you are. I'm not going to live my life like my time is, is not just his. Take the most precious thing to you. For me, it's my family. But even they can't compare to his love. Even I surrender my family to him. I surrender my money to him. I surrender my time to him. Stand to your feet. Pastor Dave, join me on the stage. Some, in one scripture in Corinthians says, this fragrance is death to some people because they reject him. But it's life for other people because they accept him. What do you do, Pastor Dave, with a message like this? How do you respond? How do you react? What, what can we take away from this that would make all the difference in the world? Of course, there'd be more than one thing. It's a beautiful message that Jesus gave to us. And he's resurrected it through Pastor James today. I want you to close your, your eyes and bow your head. And take a moment with him. She had a moment with him. Even though she was surrounded by others, this was a moment just with her and him. And it was a beautiful moment. I want you to ask him if there's anything you have that you could give to him as an extravagant gift. It may be your forgiveness of someone for whom you've been holding on to hate. Maybe your time. It may be a, a, a gift, a talent that you've been burying. It may be a financial gift. It may be sharing the gospel with that person you're afraid is going to reject you? I don't know. Ask him, is there something I have 
maybe a sin that you could give up, an addiction that you could walk away from, a relationship that you could turn to holiness instead of unholiness. Just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed moment with him. If he's brought something to your mind that you could make as an extravagant offering to him, and you want to do it for him, would you just raise your hand up to him as a physical sign that you're going to worship him in that beautiful, extravagant, all-consuming way? Lord, as we lift our hands to you and seek to, as best we know how, respond to this worshipful moment, this joyful moment that you see us. But as we see you, we can't think about anything else. But what do I have? What do I have? And sometimes we're stuck until we let you tell us what we have. Thank you for telling us. We lift our hands as a way of saying, yes, Lord. You can say that to him in your mind. You can say that to him out loud. You can just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Has your worship for him today. But if you make a vow this way, don't delay in fulfilling it. Don't delay in fulfilling it. And I believe it will make your life a fragrance that others will be able to sense. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today here at Bethel. So glad you came. If you're new to Bethel, we sure would love to meet you over here where it says first time here, Guest Central. Pastors will be there to meet you. We have a gift for you there. We'd love to give to you. But as you go today, remember the value made if you made one. But most of all, remember as you go, he sees you and he is with you. And he wants to help you make your life a beautiful offering to him. Go with God.